You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What do you have? I'm looking for Josie Wales. That'll be me. You're wanted, Wales. I reckon I'm right popular. You a bounty hunter? He's got to do something for a living these days. Diane ain't much of a living, boy. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. That little intro was from one of my favorite cowboy films, The Outlaw Josie Wales. Poor Josie has a heck of a time when he gets a price on his head. When I heard that Spike TV was doing a show with the notion of a $10 million prize for proof of Bigfoot, I was concerned that somebody was going to get killed. But fortunately, it turned out that the nature of the show was more of a reality TV premise, not an open-ended bounty on the big guy. Still, with that premise, I didn't expect much from the show. Then, I heard from today's guests, and I must admit, it has at least given me hope that something really good might just make it to the screen. I'm Blake Smith, and you're about to hear Dr. Karen Stolzno and I interview two of the co-hosts of Spike TV's $10 million Bigfoot bounty, Dr. Todd Dissertel and Natalia Reagan. Dr. Todd Dissertel is a professor of anthropology at New York University and a co-host of the new Spike TV show. Monster Talk listeners will remember Todd from previous visits going all the way back to the very first episode of our show, as well as his appearances on Monster Quest and Is It Real? He's been a prominent voice for science advocacy and skepticism in cryptozoology. Natalia Reagan is an anthropologist, comedian, writer, actress, and is also a co-host of the $10 million Bigfoot Bounty. Her academic work is focused on spider monkeys, primate conservation, and evolutionary biology. She combines her wit and creativity with her passion for science advocacy to help make educational videos. And as an actress, she's appeared on such shows as My Name is Earl and Better Off Ted, and as a science consultant on The Today Show and Fox Edge News. This is her first appearance on Monster Dog. 
Today so, we're going to be talking about the $10 million Bigfoot bounty on Spike TV. Now, this show premieres uh, on the 10th. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And what time? 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 Central. Check your local listing. Yeah. Check your local <laughs> listing. First of all, um, how did you two get involved with this? I guess. Well, I was initially um, asked by the production company to consult with Lloyds of London in coming up with the scientific criteria that would meet, you know, the $10 million bounty. So coming up with the types and levels of DNA evidence as well as the either physical or visual um, proof to go along with it. And evidently they liked talking with me and, you know, how I could reduce things to, uh, you know, a lawyer's level. Um, and so they asked me to begin consulting on the show, coming up with particularly what would be realistic challenges. And we came up with a whole variety of interesting challenges. And I did that for many, many months. And then they asked me to design the laboratory and then man it. So it, it was sort of this incremental um, getting sucked into it. And so I helped design and build a lab that could fit in five crates and the criteria that we could test in the time frame. So we had to actually test things uh, very rapidly um, in the confines of filming the show. And only about 10 days before we flew out to California, they asked me to be a co-host. Initially, they had a different conception of how they were going to do it with guest hosts, but then they decided to go with two full-time co-hosts, and I had introduced them earlier to Natalia as a possible guest host, and I guess she can take it from there. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, what, that's what Dr. Todd did. He actually introduced me to uh, one of the uh, executive producers, uh, hoping that I could be a guest host uh, during one of the seven episodes uh, working with the challenges on the show. And uh, as that changed, so did their uh, desire to have a, an additional host. And uh, originally, uh, I, was, I know I was not the first pick, but uh, I kept in touch with uh, the production company. And towards the end, they, uh, they asked me if I was interested. And, and I remember at the time, I, had already, I am a working primatologist, so I actually had planned to be teaching primate field school. I was uh, assisting a, a colleague of mine. And and luckily, I was able to swing both. So I was able to be a co-host on the show, uh, being the field expert on the show. Uh, since Dr. Todd, is his expertise is in the lab uh, as well as the field, but his, his uh, contemporary research is all lab-based, um, I served as their field expert. So I was able to go out there and assist uh, the contestants and teaching them how to correctly uh, pick, pick up any sort of biomaterials, how to uh, – what the correct uh, – uh, correct uh, collection protocol was for the biomaterials and how to better track wild animals. So that's how I got involved. And uh, I actually didn't know for sure if I was going to be the host until 16 hours before they flew me out. Wow. So it's a last minute deal, uh, a lot of, you know, quick decisions and uh, very, very exciting. Um, but uh, definitely not what I had expected my summer to be. And I was able to do the show. And actually, immediately right after the show ended, I, I, I flew to Costa Rica to teach primate field school with my colleague, Katie McKinnon. Well, could you guys tell us a bit about the $10 million Bigfoot bounty? 
So it is a, uh, a reality show, um, and each episode uh, consists of basically three components. There's the challenge, and I'll talk about some of the challenges in a moment, but in which the nine different teams, so it's nine teams of two individuals, um, compete in some kind of challenge we set up. We set up the challenges to be relevant to doing field work. Um, so, instance, they used biopsy darts in one, camera traps in another. They had to identify trackways. They had to accurately map. They had to uh, capture insects, which I'll come back to later um, as we talk. Um, and then the team that won the challenge got a leg up on the rest of that particular episode. So, each episode was sort of considered an expedition. Um right. And so they might get an extra tool that the other teams didn't have, or they would have more time than the other teams. And so the second part of each leg of the expedition or each episode was they would go on a hunt, usually starting late in the afternoon or early in the evening, often going till the, the wee hours in the morning, um, gathering evidence. It could be feces, uh, hair, video, uh, imagery. Some people brought in, you know, materials that weren't, they weren't claiming were definitely Bigfoot, but that it was in the area because here was its food source or something like that. And then the third part of each, um, episode was I had, you know, eight to 10 hours to do the lab work. And I was able to have a lab technician with me for each of the first seven episodes out in uh, the Pacific Northwest. And we would identify all of the sample, all the biomaterial samples that they brought in. Um, Natalia can talk about looking at their evidence. Yeah, so uh, definitely Every episode, you know, they had the challenge, and I would actually go out there as the field expert and, and assist them in the challenge. And not necessarily assist them, but to, to kind of oversee what they were doing, look at their strategies, hear their theories, um, see them squabble as mm -hmm. people do in the field. Because that was a big part of, of the show is, is mm -hmm. uh, really emphasizing how much teamwork is a part of, of field work and how... Uh, uh, also, that science is not static, and that as they got gain more information during the course of, of taping, that their theories uh, should and probably will change. Uh, so I would watch them in the field, see their shenanigans and antics, um, and uh, you know we would definitely um, encourage them to uh, be innovative in in their challenges and in their hunts. And so when I'd go out. Uh, to their hunts and introduce them to that area. I'd always remind them about, of course, collection protocol and what they should be looking for. And then as far as uh, when we when we go back and look at all the evidence they brought in, they brought in, uh, you'll see, a slew of different types of evidence that some are, are pretty uh, out there and uh, not what you would expect for somebody looking for Bigfoot. But we uh, oftentimes review uh, the biomaterials, but also any sort of photographs, uh, video that they would come up with um, some would claim they actually saw a, a Bigfoot. And so we had to look at that and, and you know, use our, our experience um, to decide whether or not that it, it was something worth uh, you know, saying that, yeah, that is Bigfoot or, or no, it's not. Um, some of the photos, uh, actually one of the, one, of, one of the teams you'll see uh, had a, a really challenge, uh, a, a challenging time actually coming up with any good photographs. Uh, they couldn't photograph, uh, I think, their own 
you know, face if they could. <laughs> I mean, they really were had uh, massive challenges, um, and, and we had to kind of teach them how to uh, take photographs when doing field work. Because I know it sounds silly, but when you're in the field, you need to take decent photographs, and if you can't. Um, you're going to have a problem when you're later working with your data. I'm trying to get a feel for what the show is going to be like. Have you, you seen the edited version or like the actual? We've uh, seen just moments and clips. Um, so, I mean, we brought some really fascinating and interesting science to it, and we can get into this in a little bit. But it, it is a reality show, and they yes. cast these nine teams. Five of them were what? self-described professional Bigfoot hunters or squatchers. And four of the teams were either professional big game hunters or professional hunters or cam or photographers. Mm -hmm. So you had sort of these two interesting types of people and coming together and squabbling, arguing, sometimes collaborating um, and so a lot of it, obviously, being a reality show on a big network, is going to be the interactions uh, amongst the teams. The conflict. Both the, the members within a team as well as the conflicts um, between the teams. So a good portion will be like that. Yeah. You know, if, you know, if the tone is, is, is it comedic or is it like Survivor or is it – do you have like – is there an elevator speech or have you been told any guidance on like – what the tone is going to be like? That's an excellent question, actually. Because we, we, we so we have not. We seen. don't know. <laughs> so, uh, your guess is as good as ours. We're a little concerned about that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. You know, I, I come from a comedic background. I, I do comedy. The way they actually uh, decided, I think, uh, to have me on the show is I, I make videos that use comedy to explain science. They were hoping that I could bring a little of that to the show. Um, so hopefully that uh, some of that will stay because I feel like uh, comedy is a great way to um, educate uh, the masses about things that might seem a little over their head. You know, if you bring it down and, and use comedy to explain scientific concepts, that usually sticks. Yeah. So, um, but uh, one thing I wanted to touch on, uh, the last portion of the show, we talked about the challenge, we talked about the hunt. There's also a- an elimination um, part of the show where, unfortunately, because it's nine teams of two and, and they're all looking for big, but one team gets eliminated, eliminated each week. And so we had to review all their evidence and hear, and they got, they had a chance, not only did we have a chance to review it, they had a chance to um, defend it as you would in a scientific setting. And um, that was a really great opportunity for them, I think, to learn and also us to hear their own theories um, because that was an interesting part of the show is to hear what each team brought, uh, you know, what information and what uh, background and, and, and theories they brought to uh, their hunt. Uh, and you had, that actually also uh, was a point where there was a lot of conflict, as you can imagine, teams, a lot of infighting, but also a lot of cooperation. And that was one of the things I think surprised me about the show was uh, the amount of cooperation I saw between teams um, and, and, and um, the transfer of knowledge between t- teams that would be considered hunters and those that are considered squatchers. So and then so the, the, the rest of sort of the format is while there is the bounty available to whatever team can provide that evidence the last team left standing after eight episodes takes home a hundred thousand dollar uh research grant basically so the 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 last team left standing 
actually get sort of the standard reality show um, thing, which they've labeled a research grant so that they can go out and do more squatching or hunting. Yes. And uh, from what I, I saw with uh, all of the trailers, you guys seem pretty skeptical, all three hosts. So how did the teams react to your skepticism? Uh, varying degrees of... Uh, I mean, some of them knew me and my previous work from uh, Monster Quest and Is It Real and some other shows on Nat Geo and History Channel. Um, and so they liked having a skeptic because there's so much crap going on and so much hoaxing and stuff. They wanted a real you know, group of scientists actually evaluating them. And I think we actually taught them a lot. Yes. Um, and so I, I think overall, while there was conflict, if, if we would say, well, you know, you said this yesterday, now you're saying this, which is it, um, you know, that kind of conflict. But um, given that they were all over the board, you know, it's an apex predator down yeah. to it's a vegetarian. <laughs> it's purely nocturnal. No, it's only out there during the day. Um, it's a with, by people. Yeah, with nine teams, you had every point of the compass theory <laughs> imaginable. You know, not just 180, but 270 and more uh, degrees difference in their theories. Um, and uh, while, again, there's a lot of uh, sort of conflict because they had something on the line, either getting 10 million or 100,000, neither's anything to sneeze at. Um, you know, so they were competing, but sometimes when you compete, it behooves you to cooperate. <laughs> Yeah, no, I definitely feel like there was, uh, it was a humbling experience for me because I, I, I really, uh, I enjoyed hearing what they had to say. And I did learn some of their, um, I did learn, especially from the hunters, some of their techniques and, and what they do when they track animals. But also a lot of them came to me and asked me about primates and, and primate behavior and uh, locomotion and diet. And it was great to sit around and talk with them a little bit about, about what we knew. And they definitely were open. And that you know, it was comforting to see people that are so passionate about their beliefs be able to amend them as they learned more about the subject. And, you know, when, when you see uh, some of these guys, you know, out there, they're going to be gloving up, putting on masks, opening up their sterile swabs, yes. <laughs> putting things into tubes. You know, this isn't guys, you know, poking stuff with a stick out in the woods. Uh, mm. We really trained them um, in the techniques. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite techniques that we let them do is something we had basically tested out on the fly, so to speak, and that was environmental DNA. So we let them capture biting insects, and if the insect had a blood meal in it that was, you know, less 24 to 36 hours old or less, we got the DNA signatures of the animals that these insects bit. And so, you know, this is a neat way that actually primatologists and other wildlife biologists are now using this with some of the new uh, high-throughput sequencing and genotyping techniques, you know, you can catch 200 mosquitoes and in an afternoon see everything they bit yeah. um, and get an idea of the fauna in the local ecosystem. And so, 
I, I was very happy that we got that up and running on the fly there. Um, I got uh, DNA off of basically saliva from things that animals had eaten. You know, the remains, we carefully were able to get uh, DNA from the saliva left behind. Um, so we, we did, I tested hundreds of uh, biological samples out there. And again, we did it, you know, basically between six in the morning and, you know, maybe four in the afternoon. We were able to extract DNA amplify it and visualize it with electrophoretic gels using a system that allowed us to identify down to maybe the family or genus. So I, I wasn't sequencing, but I could say this is, you know, an ursid or a canid or a cervid or a non-human primate or it's human because uh, humans actually had a very unique signature in the, the markers I was using. Um, and so it, it was a really neat thing. And I actually had a automated DNA extraction system out there in two different cabins in the woods in which I could do 96 samples in about 90 minutes wow. extracting mm -hmm. DNA. And I had two high-speed PCR machines and two high-speed gel electrophoresis machines. And uh, we were able to do some really cool work. And I'm going to be applying this stuff to my real research. I mean, taking, you know, having a portable lab in the field with you means instead of coming back three months later and saying, oh, those 70% of the samples <laughs> didn't work, uh, you'll be able to know right now let's let's spend some more time with this particular troop of monkeys because yeah. we didn't get good samples so i to me this was not only uh, a way to sort of be evangelical about the scientific method about evolution about primatology it was also a way for me to test things that my grad students postdocs and i are going to be using in our real life research what, what, yeah. is a, what does a field kit like that uh, cost? Let's just say it's not uh, cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I wanted to say also uh, what, what Dr. Todd's talking about, the whole uh, the way that this system is going to change the way we do field primatology. I mean, one of the other things is when you're bringing home you know, 90 samples after doing three to six months in the field or more, and, and, and what if they spoil? Uh, what if you can't get past the red tape of whatever continent or country you're in? Um, this is a way that you can do it on the ground, get results, and, and basically do more. Um, so it's going to just basically change the way we do field primatology in the future, which is very exciting. And also the, the non-invasive techniques that we used on the show uh, interest me uh, the most because as a field researcher, I love to be as non-invasive as possible. I feel like you get great results that way. Yeah, uh, well, and minimally invasive because we did use a, a biopsy dart, but even that is 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 you know the least invasive way to get the high you know the most viable DNA sample. Um, but I, we did camera traps, which are something that actually I'm going to be using in my uh, next study in Panama, I study a critically endangered subspecies of spider monkey, and we're planning to do a camera trap study. And, and we taught uh, a lot of actually a lot of these teams know how to use camera traps because they are hunters in real life, and they actually use game game cams uh, when they hunt um, to know what's in the, in the area. It's a great way to do uh, an ecological survey without having to be yeah, there. You know, it's a, 
it's a second pair of eyes uh, in the forest that never sleep and uh, can see in the dark. So I love camera traps. So that was a, a great tool for them to learn. And uh, the, of course, the blood meal um, is a great way to do an ecological survey without even seeing the animals you're looking for. So for me, I, I used to joke to them, if you don't find the big guy, you know, at least you guys can all become conservation biologists because this is stuff we actually use in the field. And they can go off and, 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 and use this, uh, these techniques and, and teach others. So, and hopefully the American public will learn a thing or two as well. I hope this stuff yeah. makes it to screen. This sounds great. <laughs> I yeah. hope so, too. Yeah. <laughs> and I, actually, Dr. Todd and I, I, I the videos that I make, I, we are shooting a couple of videos uh, uh, that will further delve into the science side just to uh, make sure that the science does get out there. Because I think, uh, you know, and also talking about some of the things that Bigfooters talk about, like the idea of primate locomotion, because a, a lot of the squatchers have different uh, theories about, uh, you know, whether Bigfoot is bipedal. What one, one A brachiator. A brachiator, <laughs> exactly. Uh, some think that, you know, he's a quadruped, but also can walk uh, bipedally and, and, and does it with ease and you know, we want to explain uh, how this is highly improbable and uh, impossible uh, and, and a couple other uh, scientific uh, uh, concepts that we talk about on the show. So hopefully those videos will be out in the next few weeks. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy... UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Um, and further explain what we do. And th those are independent of the show. Yes, they're independent These of Spike. These are Natalia's <laughs> project. Yeah. Oh, cool. And Natalia, I wanted to ask you, what kind of exposure have you had with cryptozoology before this show? Quite honestly, uh, pretty much none. <laughs> this is my this is my first go at it. Uh, of course, you know, growing up in the United States, you you hear about Bigfoot, and mm -hmm. I, I grew up in a family that um, my mom is uh, has her PhD. She's a scientist as well, you know. So, not exactly uh, we're a believer family. We're, we're we're skeptics, but at the same time, I, you know, you as a kid, you always want to believe in things like Bigfoot and the other. Um, so this was my, my first, I guess, real foray into this field. And I, I did as much research as I could beforehand because I am interested in all these theories and, uh, you know, where they, they come from and how there's you know, sort of, um, you know, different theories across the world 
about these cryptic bipeds, you know, whether it's Yeti, Yahweh, or Are these these remnant Gigantopithecus, as some people push? Are they some kind of relic, archaic uh, (laughs) hominin, you know, a Denisovan or a Neanderthal, something else, Homo erectus? You know, so there's lots of different theories um, as to what they are, but... uh, I, I think we came up with some relatively fair criteria to encompass all those theories as to the, the level of DNA evidence. Basically, it has to be a, a non-human primate that falls outside the range of variation of any other known group. Because you could imagine somebody had a, a feral pet chimp that they just you know, let loose because Mm -hmm. they couldn't handle it anymore. And, you know, if somebody got a photo of that and biopsy darted it, they would have pretty darn good evidence of a bipedal ape running around, except it would (laughs) fall within the realm of variation of uh, chimps. So, Natalia, as a spider monkey researcher, have you ever looked at the uh, Deloitte's ape? Yes, I have actually. Um, I one of the contestants and I talked about it in great depth. Uh, <laughs> I know, I've it and of course, said, you know, we were talking about it. I said that that's just a spider monkey propped up with a stick. <laughs> um, okay, you know, and I felt bad because it, it, I, you know, obviously it was a dead spider monkey propped up with a stick. But yeah, and and you know, I think people want to find an other. They want to, to have a new discovery. I think it's exciting for people. I mean, who wouldn't I, want to I find would, Bigfoot? I would love to be involved. You know, I'm, I'm extraordinarily skeptical, but it's not zero. It's not zero probability. Um, and, you know, I have been involved with identifying my laboratory and myself and my research group have been involved in the definition of numerous new species and subspecies of primates, you know, uh, two subspecies of chimpanzees and gorillas, several new species of monkeys. Um, So the techniques that one would use to demonstrate uh, Bigfoot's existence are there's nothing out of the ordinary or different from the normal lab work I do in evolutionary primatology. Um, so, you know, people say, why are you involved in this? It's like, I'm not doing anything differently. Uh, I will say that most squatchers are even more interesting than my field primatological colleagues. And they're already (laughs) a kind of, let's just say, interesting group of people. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, actually. The squatchers... You know, I, I got to say, like, by the end of the show, I respected everybody so much. I mean, I might not agree with anything they say or, or most of it or, or some of it, but I definitely respected their passion. And as human beings, I, I definitely I, I, I grew to enjoy everybody uh, on the show. So um, I don't good. know. I, I definitely feel like this was a great opportunity <coughs> to get the science out there. I'm hoping a lot of it makes it to Final Cut. The final cut out there, and um, and that people will learn, and and maybe it'll inspire future field primatologists, uh, lab primatologists, uh, young girls that might see the show with their parents and think, oh my god, there's a girl on the show. She chases monkeys. Hey, I, you know, <laughs> girls can do science too. I know that sounds silly because I at this 
point in time, you'd think any girl could think she could do anything, but there are still girls out there that think that they can't. And I, I would love to encourage and promote women in science. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I don't know if you guys know, but I was actually approached uh, initially to be to form one of the teams uh, and to be one of the the professional squatchers. Oh um, wow! So I I didn't think I was really appropriate for that, but uh, <laughs> that was interesting. I was surprised that they turned down some people who are really known as professional squatchers in the community, like Tim Holmes. Um, do you know of him at all? I do. He was he was <laughs> yeah, pretty, I mean, pretty upset he wasn't chosen. So yeah. there, there's, you know, it's a huge community and, you know, one of the things and, you know, I, I understand what the network wants. So, you know, and that's, I think, one of the other reasons. I'm not just some pure ivory tower elitist. Um, you know, I understand what they're after. I mean, this is entertainment. I mean, pure and simple. Mm-hmm. I just get to squeeze some science uh, into it. And so, I mean, they had a fairly extensive casting process. Um, I was actually never consulted on the contestant casting, only on the potential experts and other things. Mm-hmm. And so I think they were going, you know, they needed their demographics, they needed this, they needed that. Um, and so that's why I think you don't see some of the other bigger names um, that are out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely went for a, a squatcher versus hunter uh, dynamic on the show. And I don't, I, again, I, I came on so late in the game, I don't know exactly why that is. But, you know, maybe it was to create some sort of conflict that fuels reality TV, mm-hmm. as we know. Um, yeah. But I definitely feel like the, the teams that they did pick, uh, they all did a, a really great job. But um, I know that must have been hard for those people that consider themselves professional squatchers to not get picked. When uh, Natalia, given you're interested in um, primates and the evolution of primate breasts, um, uh, yes. What? Well, I th- <laughs> what? Have you taken a look at the Patterson Gimlin film? And, yes. Uh, okay. okay. So I'm glad you asked because I always watch that. I'm like, look. They're not even pendulous. It's like she had a boob job. They're not even <laughs> anybody. I mean, forgive me for being crass. I mean, Karen, you, you I'm assuming you, you would know. They move when you walk. Uh-huh. And yes. gravity is not always kind. And that looked like a, a full-grown individual. So I don't know why they were so high and perky, you know? It must be that California. Yeah, right? She she wasn't yeah. really California, so maybe she Plus did get some work done. <laughs> but yes, I, I definitely saw that and, and, and the lack of movement and uh, and thought, wow, okay. I do always remark on, the, you know, anytime you see a Bigfoot statue, uh, there is no, there's always a lack of um, uh, anatomically correct Junk. undercarriage, if you will. <laughs> And I, you know, we, we have to make jokes like, well, that, there you go. That's why there's only one. That's right. You know? There's nothing down there to do anything with. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, but that, that also was a great point because a lot, I w- was always interested in, in hearing the theories of the contestants about what was their family structure like? What did they think they were? Were they solitary? Did they live in multi, you know, multi-male female groups? Was it fission fusion? Talking about what, you know primate grouping is like and, and, and why it's like that. And uh, it was interesting to hear their responses. What were some of them? <laughs> uh, some of them thought they lived in family groups. And, of course, I thought, well, okay, wouldn't we see remnants of their, of their lifestyle? And yeah. uh, sometimes they had a hard time explaining that. 
Uh, and I said, well, how did they meet one another? And they always had sort of explanations. You'll hear that tree knocking is a big part of, of um, um, you know, Bigfoot specialists think that there's a lot of tree knocking or, and, and um, uh, tree breaks and, and tree structures. So you'll hear that. Um, but they thought that was a way to, to meet one another. Oh, that's uh, it. Yeah, a match, you know, uh, what is it? Um, Match.com. Match.com for, for squatchers. <laughs> well, that, that's my area of interest, Bigfoot language. So I know you can't really talk too much about the evidence, but did that come into play, the Bigfoot signs and symbols and uh, communication? Yep. So yep. <laughs> between knocking and what they would call – so the tree breaks and the tree structures, a lot of them said – those were markers uh, marking out territories to communicate with each other, um, you know, and all of that stuff. And so that was definitely, in their minds, part of Bigfoot's, you know, communication package. I wonder and how they knew that. And vocalizations, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how they knew that then, how they could translate that. Uh, different ways. I mean, it was it was very strange because some of them were like, these things are so cryptic, that's why we've never seen them. And others are like, yeah, but they're leaving marks all over the place with tree breaks and tree structures. So, you know, there was that was one of the 180-degree different things. It's like they're yeah. completely cryptic, and yet they're marking their territory. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> or they stay away from humans, but then they love coming to the or light of fires. Or they're attracted to humans. So, you know, I, I kind of catch them in a, wait, but wait a minute, just, you know, last episode you said this, and now you're saying this. What is it? And, yeah. they, and that's just to show, again, that I love pointing out that science is not static. It changes. It's it's going to change. It cannot, um, theories do not, um, you know, they don't last forever. They got to they gotta evolve as, as more information comes down the line. Yeah, but there does seem to be a lack of uh, like mutually consistent Bigfoot ethology. I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, so I think that's something we may have contributed to, if, if I can say, to squatchery. <laughs> is, uh, uh, I mean, we really did hammer home and push on, well, you know, so you need to generate hypotheses, you need to collect data and modify your hypothesis. You know, we were basically really trying to push the standard scientific method on them. And I think it did definitely get through to some. They will uh, be better squatchers (laughs) for Mm -hmm. having been on the show, I think. And so, you know, as a professor, you know, I try to teach anybody. (laughs) Yeah. I always said that I would love to have, you know, maybe in the future this can happen, sit down and really hear all of their theories at once and, and even put together you know, sketch compositions of what they think uh, Bigfoot Sasquatch looks like uh, and talk about, you know, human variation and, and, and variation of, among species, um, especially over long distances. Um, because I think, it's, I think it's very interesting to hear people talking from, you know, Maine to Florida to California uh, to Washington about their theories of, of what this individual looks like, how they act, um, how they're subsisting. Um, one thing I always talk about when they talk about being, you know, apex predators and and and, and hunters. I say, well, where's the tool industry? Um, do they use tools? How are they killing? Things like that. I think are, are very important to talk about and and really understand. You can't you can't just make a sweeping generalization that oh, oh Bigfoot they they just eat meat. They're big hunters. They've got you know claws. Well, why? Why do you think that? Let's look at you know research of uh, 
what primate what primates have claws? Yeah, exactly. You know, if this is no. an ape, is it likely to have claws? Um, you yeah. know, all sorts of things. And then we also talked about just body size and diet. You know, your basal metabolic rate scales with body size, and there are certain. Larger animals need different things than smaller animals, and that can restrict their diet. And so, you know, it's a lot of basic primatology and mammalogy that we got to uh, discuss with them. So, despite the, you know, over the top competitive nature of it, um, I'm really hoping that we put forth and taught a lot of science in this. And that's uh, why I did it. Yeah, we, I mean, doing a reality show, you know there's going to be a lot of spectacle, but we were hoping science would, would trump the spectacle in, in many cases. And or at least squeak through. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so what can you tell us about the hunters? Uh, we've discussed them a little bit already, but uh, there were stories that I was reading online before the when the show was coming together of uh, these people being armed and there were a lot of squatchers out there saying, this is terrible, they're going to go and, and kill Bigfoot. And, so we, had and I, an ap- the, we had an absolute no-kill policy, absolutely. and in fact, they did not have weapons. I mean, the biggest weapon they had was a leather man. Um, they were not allowed to have any firearms or any large uh, weapons. That was part of it. Um, yeah. Partly for safety, you know, issues. Of humans. You know. <laughs> yeah. You, you, got eight, you got 18 people running around dark at night. Uh, <laughs> you don't want them armed. No, that was actually... I, <laughs> and that was, I mean, I would not have done the show if mm-hmm. these guys were going around with 30-odd sixes you know, ready oh. to shoot anything that moved. I would Don't not blame you. <laughs> no, I, I was a big part of, honestly, my contract was, was making sure there right. were no weapon. I'm, I, of the three hosts, I'm the tree hugging hippie, <laughs> if you will. Um, I'm the one that I'm not a hunter. I respect the hunters on the show, uh, but I'm not a hunter. And I just could not imagine doing a show with a bunch of people, like Todd said, uh, armed and dangerous in the forest at night. But um, I'm very proud of the show for making that a big point and not and not allowing them to have weapons so um can you tell us a little bit about the challenges themselves um or, or is that something you can give away right now um so i i, I asked my uh minder <laughs> <laughs> said uh one of the challenges uh i don't want to give details of lo- locations but they used uh biopsy dart guns out there and uh, the challenge was to see who could uh, both most rapidly as well as most accurately actually get a viable uh, biopsy dart sample. Um, They did some mapping. Um, You know, could they, you know, they go out, you know, and they say, oh, we found Bigfoot here. Uh, Where? Where? (laughs) So they had to do a mapping challenge. Um, Is that like orienteering type stuff? Uh, partially, yeah. Um, they also had GPS units ah. um, with them. Um, camera trapping, they had uh, several camera traps that they were allowed to go set up. They and then the next traps, day, yeah. they had to go recover them. And they had to justify where they placed them. Um, as I said, we had them capture insects. And so all sorts of uh, interesting. How do you capture biting insects? <laughs> <laughs> so there were some very uh, interesting uh, uh, things that went on with that. Um 
looking at following trackways and accurately identifying uh, animal tracks. So again, every one of the challenges actually had relevance to being a field biologist or wildlife biologist. Yeah, that was a big draw for the show for me, was the fact that they were doing all and, the But we do they were also show. set up so that they were competing with each other, you know, mm-hmm. so that, that added the little extra sort of drama and excitement to it. And I wanted to ask about that uh, aspect. Uh, you were saying earlier that there was a $100,000 research grant that was going to be awarded to the team with the most compelling evidence. So when all of the evidence is poor, how do you decide what's the best? Well, I mean, here's where, you know, being a professor sort of comes in. (laughs) Um, You know, basically, you know, it was grading them. Um, So it's both the quantity and the diversity, and but they're also their justifications. As uh, Natalia said, they had to uh, defend their evidence. Like many of them brought in footprint casts. They always had in their backpacks uh, casting material. So, you know, they had to just, why is this a Bigfoot footprint and not a double bear strike or a slide? Um, And sometimes you could call them out on something or an inconsistency or they just, brought in three things and other teams brought in nine. Um, So it never was that hard to actually sort of judge which team in that particular leg of the expedition sort of did the weakest job. And then it it was a consult, you know, um, Dean Kane, Natalia, and I would consult after, you know, I had the results, after we heard their defense of them, we would consult, and uh, we were always unanimous. We never had a, a major dissension on that. Yeah, and you'll see as the show goes, as the show progresses, that each team, the way they describe their evidence, the way that they defend it, it, it becomes more polished. They know what they're talking about. They're using terms that we would use in field primatology. Um, it's very clear that they're learning and they're picking up information and they're they're doing a better job in the field. That, that one team that I mentioned that was the worst, uh, they were the worst photographers I've ever seen ever, they got much better because we taught them. We showed them what to do. We use a black background, use something for scale, things that you do in the field that seem so benign, but they matter. Uh, things like that, they really do pick up and they learn and that was exciting to see. I have well, to, Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that's a, that's a huge achievement for the show, I think. It is. I, I think you've totally turned me around on this thing because yeah. I, I, I'm going to say something I don't think I would have ever said. I, I'm jealous of these Bigfoot hunters for all this training. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I, I, why did I go to grad school? Seriously, I could have <laughs> won 100 grand. <laughs> I, so are, do you think we're going to be entertained by this show? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, so... Again, I've never seen a full episode, but I've seen Todd, clips. Just say yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the correct answer. Yes. Yeah. I'm See, looking forward to it. Watch it. Yeah. So uh, it's taking some learning on my myself. <laughs> well, thanks for trying to inject some science here because honestly, I think uh, if the Bigfoot community needs anything, it would be like a really good standard scientific field guide for how to do biology. Well, so one of the things. Uh, I hammered home and Natalia 
actually showed them out in the field is every sample they collected, they actually had to photograph themselves, the sample before they touched it. They had to glove up. They had to take a photo of them actually collecting the sample so that, you know, I can see that they're not contaminating it with their hands or spit or whatever. And so they had to be gloved. They had to use sterile implements. And if not, I wouldn't do it. You know, I wouldn't even put it in the, I would not test it in the lab if they could not demonstrate each and every sample that they handed me was collected in a proper manner, had GPS coordinates on it, well labeled, you know, and done sterily. So it's one of the most entertaining things, I think, is going to see some of these literally wild men and some of these big, big guys all yep. putting on their gloves and masks and oh, <laughs> running around the forests of the Pacific Northwest <laughs> with sterile tongue depressors. <laughs> it's a great transformation. I, I, I do. I, yeah. love, I love that they were so uh, open and, uh, and uh, easy to work with and they wanted the information. They, they, were, they were so accepting and they did embrace us and, and our teaching, which was wonderful. And, um, I definitely am excited to see, uh, them on the, on the big screen, uh, doing it because a, a lot of times, you know, uh, we, we wouldn't get, we didn't get to see them actually doing every little thing unless we'd see the photos. So it'd be great to see them actually maybe grumbling about Dr. Todd and I yeah, making well, them do all these steps, but yeah. they did it. Mm-hmm. And, and again, we got to see photos and if they weren't wearing gloves, sorry, guy. We don't. We are not going to analyze your poop. Yeah. And let me just tell you that it's <laughs> chock full of poop. Yeah. So yeah, it's a lot, a lot of a lot of stool samples. Well, it's going to be really interesting to see the way they they twist the show and uh, just how it comes out for you guys as much I, as us. I'm I'm very uh, intrigued of that myself, as I'm sure all of my colleagues. We were <laughs> joking on the drive in. It's probably going to have the highest number of PhDs ever watching a show on Spike. <laughs> yeah. At least for the first episode. Yeah. 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 Episode one. In fact, we should, can we give a shout out to, we have uh, colleagues actually at Notre Dame University, John Marks, yeah. doing a scotch and squatch party. We actually have several of those going on around the country in Chicago and California, North Carolina. They're doing scotch and squatch nights. And we're still trying to figure out the, the drinking game to go along with it. Yeah, so there's we'll so many one. There's so many good there's so yeah. <laughs> so many ways. None of which you'll even see the end of the episode. So you definitely have to record it. If you do any drinking <laughs> game with the show, you will not TBR make it. This. You will not make it more than twenty minutes in. That's funny. <laughs> Uh, well, we've got a final question for you guys. And Todd, we've had him on the show twice before. He's already answered this twice before, but we'll ask him again. What are your favorite monsters? Um, well, I've become a, a big Bigfoot fan. Um, I It was just – and I, I put so much time. I mean, I spent 31 days out in the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. filming the first seven episodes, and I got my first trip to Hollywood out of it. Um, so I will admit I have a, a Bigfoot tattoo on my uh, left bicep now. and I saw that I, on Facebook. I may have every Bigfoot shirt and pendant and other item available out there. Um, so I've become a, a big, big fan. But I still want to find a giant ground sloth in the Amazon. I, that's, that's my – I'm, I'm – 
pitching that to different networks like let's go do (laughs) real expedition in the amazon and you know what if i accidentally collect 50 other primate samples oh darn (laughs) (laughs) well i would love to find that that's my favorite fossil ever but you know anytime you're out there in the forest and you get to you collect everything you can Mm -hmm. so maybe we will get some other you know maybe there are some more subspecies well we know there are more subspecies and species in the Amazon that haven't been sampled yet. So this would be the perfect opportunity to do that. I think there's a show in it. I think yeah. that's yes. <laughs> My favorite monster, well, I grew up having reoccurring King Kong nightmares. Um, and, I, and I still get them, believe it or not. So <laughs> as a child, I was always really uh, a huge... It was almost like Stockholm Syndrome. I, had, I, I loved King Kong, yet I, I hated King Kong. And now, uh, with Bigfoot uh, becoming, I guess, a close friend through time, I'm now a huge Bigfoot fan um, and, and Sasquatch. I don't really see Bigfoot as a monster, though. So that's a tough one. I think that's it's almost changed for me. Uh, you know, I don't see Bigfoot as a monster at all. Um, and so that's, that's the problem, I guess, with answering that question. Mm-hmm. King Kong's still a monster, although I, I definitely... Soft, oh, I, soft, a soft spot. I, I have a, I do also though have a soft spot for the chupacabra, mm-hmm. having tested so many of them, and you know they just keep popping up, and people just won't buy the fact that coyotes get mange. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. They uh, do look funky. Yeah, hairless dogs are really not a monster. That's yeah. <laughs> but I think by monsters we mean any kind of legendary creature, strange animal, anything. Or clowns. Clowns are terrifying. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I actually – and Loch Ness. I, 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 Nessie, um, I, I went to Scotland years ago and spent some time at Loch Ness. And I did poke around and um, I, did not, I did not find her. Um, oh. I did – I, I, I would like uh, Adam Davies' Mongolian Death Worm, too, because oh, I'm yeah. a fan oh, of the yeah, movie yep. Dune. Yes. And I would love to uh, get a sample of one of those things. Yeah. It's a weird one. <laughs> well, just uh, you need thumpers. and. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> can I turn the question around and ask you guys what your favorite monster is? You can. <laughs> What's oh, your I, I answered that in the last episode, I think. <laughs> Jeff true. the Talking Mongoose. From the uh, was this creature from the I think nineteen uh, twenties back in uh, the Isle of Man, and it was a, yeah, a talking mongoose and uh, very strange story. Um, we had uh, Christopher Josephy on the show uh, about a year ago, and he spoke about that. He's writing a book on the topic, so that's my favorite one. Any any talking animal? <laughs> How did the mongoose get to the Isle of Man? <laughs> Um, well, apparently there had been some which were imported there, so it was a possibility, but whether it was talking is another story yeah. entirely. <laughs> that, to me, just seems normal. I would refer you back to Monster Talk episode <laughs> yes. that we did on that. Okay. And uh, yours? Well, currently, uh, this will be really obscure, but the reanimated corpse of John Torrington. Well, thank you very much for spending some time talking with Monster Talk. And uh, okay. even if, if you're Content doesn't make it to the screen. At least you got to talk about what you taught these people here on the show. That's right. Yep, and we'll be doing that on Natalia's uh, website as well. Yeah, so you got to try to do some education. Yeah, uh, it's nataliareagan.com, and I'll be posting some fun Dr. Todd and Natalia videos um, just to kind of get the science out there. Make sure nice. 
people learn something about squatching and <laughs> science. Monster Talk. Thanks for listening to Monster Talk. You just heard myself, Blake Smith, and Dr. Karen Stolzno interviewed two of the co-hosts of the new Spike TV show, The $10 Million Bigfoot Bounty, Dr. Todd Disotel and Natalia Reagan. I don't know if the show will showcase science or just be a platform for wilderness tomfoolery, but at least you now know there was some serious science effort put into the show, and that's enough reason, I think, to give it a chance. Hopefully, it will be able to do that rarest of tricks, to balance entertainment with education. That's something we aim for here, and it's a tough target to hit. Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The opinions expressed here are those of the hosts and the guests and don't necessarily reflect those of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. For the opinions of Skeptic Magazine, might I suggest you check out Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Magazine app for your tablet of choice. Unless your tablet of choice is a speaking spell. In which case you're out of luck. If you like Monster Talk, would you please do us a favor and share it with a friend? This model worked very well for herpes, and we believe it can work well for us, too. Monster Talk theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys. Thanks again for listening. subscribe to Skeptic Magazine digitally? Just grab our free Skeptic Magazine app, currently compatible with iOS, Android, PC, Mac, Kindle Fire, Kindle Fire HD, and BlackBerry Playbook. Head over to skeptic.com slash magazine slash app to find out more and download more of your favorite Skeptic content. Do you want video? Okay. <laughs> Lord, no! <laughs> that was so adamant. I loved it. <laughs> I take it you live a closed, optional lifestyle. <laughs> I'm down in the basement. No one can see me. <laughs> Works from home, yeah. <laughs> Feast your eyes, gloat your soul on my accursed ugliness. I could lean over my keyboard and play MIDI tunes.